The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippy is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. The place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, Griffin and Griffin, we've got an old buddy of mine, Bracken Ray, former Andy Kennedy staffer, former Bill Bossley, former MIS athlete. Did I miss anything in there? I think I think you've covered it all so far. <laughs> <laughs> Back to talk some hoops, dude. You know what I was going through and I was kind of looking up, you know, what we talk about and some ideas to pass around it. You know, we had we were we talked a couple of times during last basketball season. I'm sure we did something around the NCAA tournament or late February or something like that. But I was like, shit, that seems like over a year ago at this point, it's kind of a, it's kind of weird having college basketball back already given, you know, the, I guess the alter alternate sports calendar we're currently on college hoops. Hasn't really been affected in terms of like when it's starting from that perspective, obviously it's going to look pretty different, but I was just thinking, man, that seems like a long time ago. I know it's it's crazy. Uh, I was actually at the Ole Miss game for the SEC tournament when we got knocked out, and that's kind of when everything you started hearing a lot of rumors about the SEC tournament getting canceled, and then wondering about March Madness. And we've got a big group of buddies who uh, most of them are still in the coaching world, and I'm not. But we every year do a big trip to the Final Four, so we had this big trip planned to. Uh, uh, Atlanta and go and you know didn't get to make it but you're right it seems like it seems like a year to 18 months ago 
I know. I actually remembered that day that that happened. I had just gotten back from actually where I live now and, and just outside of Dallas. I'd been visiting uh, out there and I'd just gotten back. And I think with that, so all that stuff started getting shut down. I think we were actually texting. Someone was on SportsCenter talking about how that was like the last college basketball game that's going to get played this year. And at the time, I think we were like, oh, that seems a little hasty. And like, Jesus, yep. little did we, little did we, we know what's, what's still currently going on. But man, yeah. what a different world back then. I, I knew it was, uh, I knew things were going to change when I was at that game and I was in the, and I was in the bathroom and like the line to wash your hands was longer than the beer line. <laughs> that's when you know that, that's when you know that things are changing. Yeah, and like in our defense, like Rudy Gobert just had his episode like 35 minutes later. So this was just right. like all very new. But man, what a and you know, basketball to me is a sport that's kind of synonymous with that because you're watching the SEC tournament, you've got the Wednesday night NBA action, and the first like real domino to fall was the NCAA tournament not having fans. That was really when you're like, okay, this is this is gonna get weird. And now here we sit, we're gonna have a college basketball season. It seems like to me, and you follow this particularly from an offseason standpoint, way closer than I do. It seems like to me the gist of everything has been the conference schedule. They'll probably try to tweak some stuff with travel, but that's mm-hmm. ultimately going to remain the same. It seems like scheduling non-conference games has been a gigantic pain in the butt. Yeah, and you know, um, it, it really has been. The past couple of weeks, um, I've gotten real nervous with it on the non-conference thing because of a lot of stuff that's coming out but you're right I mean I think worst case scenario right now uh knock on wood at least you're gonna have 18 game an 18 game conference schedule if not more but what I think you're gonna see is instead of hey here's the uh you know three teams that we play twice every year so for Ole Miss's sake that's Auburn uh State and Missouri and then you have two more you play twice what I think is gonna happen is there's a chance that they kind of adjust that schedule, like you're saying, to have Ole Miss play the States and the Baton Rouges and the people that are really close to Oxford and the same for every other SEC city. Um, What's been interesting to me, though, and I mean, this just could be a PR thing, but there's been a ton of schools in the last 48 hours releasing their non-conference schedules, you know, starting the week of Thanksgiving. So, I mean, who knows? Fingers crossed there, but, you know, hopefully we can get, 30-plus games in this year. And you've got Ole Miss starting the season. They announced this, I believe, yesterday. You'd known they were going to have a round-robin tournament in Oxford in late Mm -hmm. February – excuse me, late November for a while. But they finally released the full non-conference schedule, and they opened the year with a tournament in Oxford. It's a round-robin deal Mm -hmm. with Arkansas State, JSU, Central Arkansas, and – Really not much else kind of stood out other than the schedule. They're not traveling a ton. They've got the road game at Dayton, and then you've got the uh, you've got the uh, American Challenge or whatever they're calling it, and Miss playing Wichita State. Outside yeah. of that, not a ton of shocker. A lot of games in Oxford. Just from that initial slate, did anything stand out to you from the uh, schedule release yesterday, at least the non-conference portion? Well, I mean, I guess the thing that sticks out to me is who's going to be coaching Wichita State on January 2nd. Yeah, man, I was saving that for the end, but uh, yeah, that's uh, man, I read that athletic piece on for those of you that maybe have not been following it. I don't know how you couldn't at this point, you kind of have to have your head in the sand. Some allegations against Greg Marshall for how he's treated his players, not only at Wichita State, ESPN kind of countered the athletic thing with the 
with a piece on his days at Winthrop and just some really damning stuff. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a much smaller level, but we played for a coach that was not scared to yell at us, I'd say, in high school. But that's a whole different type of uh, type. I mean, you would know better than me. Just your thoughts on that. We'll, we'll pivot there for a second. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And obviously, I'm not in the game anymore. But um, <laughs> without saying too much, um, some of that stuff wasn't super surprising to me from what I've heard uh, previously. But yeah, I mean, you, you you can't do what he's done in, in 2020. You can't do what he's done in today's day and age. Um, and, you know, when I really got the red flag on that, Brian Scott, was months ago when he had like seven or eight players transfer out. And you could. And I remember tell, thinking that was strange, like something was up right. and you didn't know what. Well, and just the feel from it and some of the hints that you got, I guess, on social media, like there's a difference between, hey, let's do a rebuild and we're going to push the players out and these guys just leaving. Right. And it was the latter there. This wasn't, I mean, Greg Marshall's been there forever. This wasn't like, you know, laying this off season, pushing a bunch of kids out. This was a, a tenured guy. So um, they obviously left and he had seven or eight players. I don't think they're going to be very, very good this year. So it's going to be interesting to see. He's got, it sounds like he's got, some boosters that are trying to protect him and then others that are indifferent. So um, I will, I'll be really interested to see what happens with that. What's really funny to me is that a lot of these beat writers, like your Goodmans of the world are just after him. It's almost personal with them. So that's also a little intriguing to me. I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's something to that. I would say just from the media aspect of it, this is just a guess. I don't know. Obviously, do not know Greg Marshall. Do not know anything about him, Jeff Goodman, and whoever's relationship. But genuinely, when bad things happen to you, not that there's a media bias. I think people kind of have trouble deciphering the difference between bias and sometimes uh, – I wouldn't even know how to describe this. Basically, if, they, if he had treated media like assholes, they're not going to exactly come to bat for him or give him the benefit of the doubt. When things yep. go bad, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Yes. So he may have kind of been brash with them before, which works when you're winning and you don't have a scandal. But like, don't expect the national guy at Watch Stadium to have your back after you've treated him like an ass. Like when things go bad is kind of the vibe I caught because I caught on to the same thing. But yeah, what a what a strange story that is, because to your point, you do kind of have a couple of the boosters Hey, I kind of having his back, and I guess some of that's natural, right? Like those boosters are not having his back if he doesn't have a Final Four trip in that thirty right. and whatever years is a fantastic game. But like if that doesn't happen and he doesn't make Wichita State what it is in that. Yep, I'm I'm totally I'm totally with you on that. But yeah, so anyway, but like other than that, like come back to reeling it back in toward the schedule. Did anything mm -hmm. else stand out? You got the game with Middle. You got Memphis coming to yeah. Oxford or whatever they're going to be. What uh, I'll frame it this way. Ole Miss's toughest non-conference game is what? Oh, I mean, I think it's Memphis. Um, so the big thing here with Memphis is they have um, – I can't even try to pronounce his name, but they signed a five-star Musa, I think is his name. And then you'll remember this, Rippy, back in April, that battle between Ole Miss, Memphis, and a few others for Landers Nolly. Yep. Um, he's a, he's a player now. I mean, he's a, he's an NBA guy. Um, and I mean, they returned a lot of, they returned everybody really except for precious. And it's not like James Wiseman played against them. I mean, when Ole Miss played Memphis last year, James Wiseman didn't play. Right. So you can't even really look at that team as a James Wiseman, um, 
lost for him. So the jury's still out on how Penny's going to have that thing together long term. Um, but there's some there's some serious talent, and it's kind of a little bit of a basketball rivalry too. Um, in a sense, it's always an emotional game. So that's the one that I'm looking forward to the most. How do you view, before we kind of dive down into Ole Miss and what to make of this team, with the non-conference scheduling kind of being what it is, and you have some smaller leagues pretty much going conference only, you have mm-hmm. other schools trying to piece it together, you had the ESPN thing in Orlando fall through. Bottom line is, there's a lot of moving parts to this thing, and it, it's kind of been almost impossible to follow yeah. unless you follow it super closely. How do you think that's going to change, assuming we have a normal NCAA tournament in March and yeah. you have the selection committee and all that, how do you think that's going to change things? The obvious, like the obvious answer is that it's going to put a heightened importance on the conference schedule. Yep. But like when we get to March, like how, like what sticks out about what could be different because of what has happened so far in, in the scheduling difficulties? Yeah. And you know, there's been all sorts of things thrown around. I mean, there was somebody put a rumor out there that they were going to let every single team in the tournament at one point, you know, I'm like, I saw, I saw that. It, did they say coach K was like behind the idea? It's like, what yeah, in the world I mean, is this story? It, it just, it just reminds me of like Vanderbilt's going to pull a UCF with the national championship on their <laughs> tournament appearance, you know, like we're gonna have something like that. But you know, being, um, I was never involved in anything scheduling wise. I was a little smaller on the pole, so to speak. But from a support staff standpoint, I mean, this is an absolute disaster. I don't know if you're an ops person or, you know, over travel. I mean, you you can't be sleeping much at night. And the big thing here is, uh, Brian Scott, we look at it and we've all watched Ole Miss and who, you know, trying to figure out who on the team tests positive when they have three cases or whatever the case may be. I don't know that you have that luxury in basketball with the roster being so small. You've got 13 scholarship guys, a few walk-ons. You know, I, from what I've kind of heard, that number could be one or two before they have to shut it down. Um, so that, that's another really, you know, interesting piece of it as well is could the postponements go up because – your roster is so much smaller. So, you know, going back to what you're saying, come March, come April, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm totally with you. I think that your uh, conference games, there's going to be a lot more importance on that. And non-conference, to be honest, I think a lot of these teams are just trying to get to November 25th. Yeah, right. It seems like the non-conference has become not completely in this sense, but like the non-conference seems like it has become a little bit more of let's try to get some games and some minutes together to figure out what we have as opposed to try to notch resume wins. Like it seems like they're just trying to get games out there to get something under their feet and get a little continuity before you get into the conference schedule. Like it seems like the whole let's schedule a couple of marquee non-conference games to try to build a resume, no matter if you're mid-major, high-major, low-major, whatever. Mm -hmm. seems like a lot of that has just gone out the window, and you're just trying to get games before you get into what matters. No doubt, and to kind of pull Ole Miss into it, too, I mean, the the thing that I was always worried about, if there's only conference only, is this roster's flipped a little bit, right? So um, you've got some – you got Matthew Morrell, you've got uh, Romello White, you know, Demencio Vaughn, Robert Allen. You've got some guys that need that experience playing together because the rest of that roster that's returning has all played under Kermit for a little bit and has played together. But that real game time and game experience before you go into a pretty strong SEC conference this year, um, 
is much needed. So, you know, I think an Ole Miss of the world should be rooting for as many non-conferences as possible, no matter what it looks like. Yeah, and that's probably a perfect segue to get into this Ole Miss team. To Kermit Davis's credit, you know, he kind of takes what he has and goes to the NCAA tournament his first year, and that yep. builds him up a ton of capital. And it cannot be understated the job that he did maximizing what he had, kind of you know, making Terrence Davis reach, reach his full potential, what he did with Brian Tyree off the ball. All of that being said, he still went and kind of reshaped the roster in his image uh, that last year. And granted, it didn't work. Like, the, you know, the story's kind of out on that team last year and, and what didn't work about them. And I mean, they were kind of soft. They didn't really rebound well. Yeah. They weren't a very good road team. But he did try to reshape the roster that offseason. And he's done it again. There just seems to be only heightened pressure that it worked. And you've got a much different roster. And I think sometimes that kind of gets lost. It's not like he just ran it back last year. I mean, he he, he reshaped that roster last year with, with mm-hmm. dudes. It just, it just wasn't guys that work. And sometimes it just happens. It seems like two things stick out this year about what he did in the offseason. And it was rebounding and toughness. And I know that sounds like yep. a coaching cliche. But yep. he was so mad after games last year about them just getting hammered on the glass. Seemed like he wanted to go get some dudes that are going to rebound and some dudes that don't get mind to getting elbowed in the face in the kind of the game's waning moments. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that, uh, I think you're spot on there. My number three there would be getting old. That's what he yep. talked about a lot last year. Hey, we got to get old, right? We got to get older. We've got to, I would think, I don't, Ken Palm's not out yet, but Ken Palm every year does an average age on their team. And I would bet it's a year plus higher than it was last year. Um, you know, one thing that's real interesting to me about this team, and I've talked to a lot of people um, regarding this team, is how balance, right? So people talk about balance, and I think a lot of people, when they look at this team from a balance standpoint, they go, oh, okay, you know, for the first time in a while, there's not a Moody there. There's not a Brian Tyree. There's not a Marshall Henderson. You're probably not going to have an 18-a-game guy on this team, but you could have three or four uh, double digits or low teens uh, players on this team. And, you know, that's kind of what I expect. Devontae Shuler, Jarkel, Mello White, and one more there. What's more interesting to me from the balance piece is not the scoring. It's the guards versus big talent and depth. Okay. So when I look at this team, um, you know, AK's 12 year run and then Kermit's first two years here, it has been a while since you can make an argument that the bigs and the guards uh, were equal from a talent and depth standpoint. And, you know, getting Robert Allen back, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that adds some depth. So you've got Romello White, who super tough. Um, he could lead the league in rebounding. He's a super, uh, super good passing big, which is going to be important for this team as well. But I just think it's going to be a lot of fun to see a team that's balanced from the guard and the big standpoint pretty equally, um, because that's not something that we've seen a lot in the past. In some of what you're talking about, not having the 18-point-a-game guy, it seems like in, yeah. in Kermit's first two years, that was really a combination of – It's kind of he was in limbo of trying to, trying to make this roster what he wanted to be in his style of play – and what he had left over from AK right because that was where how AK won is a guy that's going to take a lot of shots a game a a, a bucket getter you know a a volume shooter that was 
I mean, you could name them from Marshall on and probably a more right. efficient version from Moody. And so you've kind of seen that transition. And yep. it's interesting you bring that up. As you get older, you get tougher. You talk about the front court. There's a couple of guys you can choose from. And I was actually a little bit surprised that that uh, Robert Allen appeal got yeah. um, got turned around. But well, I, you I know, think anytime, any... anytime we win an appeal against the yeah. NCAA, Brian Scott, I mean, we're, I think we're starting off 1-0 on the season. I mean. That's a good know, point. So. They should put that in the win column. Yeah, but put it in the win column. Front court wise, like, who do you think makes the biggest impact? Like, who do you look at and think, man, it's going to be. Like, who do they look up in late February, barring, you know, health, everything else? It's, it's, I'm damn glad they got that guy. Well, I mean, I think it's Romello White for sure. Easily. So, I mean, look, I think. I think that um, I think he I think he'll be the best all around player on this team, right? So I think he's a guy that'll give you that could give you you know eleven and nine, twelve and ten, something like that. Like I talked about, um, he is a good passing big, which is going to be huge for this team uh, with one of its weaknesses that we can talk about a little bit later. And then also he adds some toughness and leadership. That Arizona State team that he left. They're going to be a damn good team this year. So that's a huge get for Levi and Kermit being able to, to bring him on this roster. He could play at a lot of schools and can probably play at some Blue Bloods as well. So um, I, I think he is – I mean, I think he's the most talented guy on this team um, and it's going to be huge for this front court. What does that mean for the Buffins, the dude columns, and the – I'll throw one more in there. Sammy Hunters of the world. What does that front court rotation look like in your mind? Yeah, so what I think, um, you know, to start out the season, I think you'll have a KJ at the four and Romello at the five, right? And so I think um, a guy like Duke Column, who he played so hard last year, you know, from a talent standpoint, he's not there. But, I mean, he was kind of a fan favorite in some ways because people liked how hard he played, even though, you know, he's not super talented. But I think that's going to – I think that's going to push his minutes down a little bit. Um, Sammy Hunter, I think Sammy Hunter is a guy that could play uh, a little bit of the four and the five for him this year. So I think that, you know, him being able to play both of those spots will help with depth. Um, Robert Allen getting eligible, super athletic kid, um, you know, had some good stats at Samford. I don't think this is a kid who's going to be an all conference caliber guy, but he's going to give them some depth too. So what you'll see a lot of is, you know, a Romello uh, backed up by Robert Allen or Sammy Hunter. And you could also see, you know, um, uh, Domencio Vaughn, Luis Rodriguez play for there a little bit if you wanted to go small ball. It seems like the versatility has changed on that. That's a pretty good segue because that was kind of the next question I had written down. And we'll go ahead and throw Domencio Vaughn into this conversation. Mm-hmm. But the first part of the question I had is, is what is Luis Rodriguez? At this point, because, you know, he gets hurt last year in when mm-hmm. they were in warmups in Brooklyn or something like that. It was right. kind of a freak deal. And, yeah, the wheels came off for them later in the season. But Kermit would mention time after time they really miss his toughness. And yeah. I don't think that's disputable watching how some, some league games played out, particularly on the road last year. Now, would he have made a, a, a world of difference in terms of them making the tournament? Uh, no, I don't think so. But he was a guy that all offseason, this was like, this is the guy. Like, this is yep. guy, his toughness, rebounding, scoring a yep. little bit. Don't really know what it is. In your mind, what is he at this point? 
I think that he is, and I think we, we probably talked about this over text some last year, but I think the big thing, yes, toughness from like a, you know, intangible standpoint, but his big thing is you go have a guy um, that you're playing against that averages 18 to 22 a game. He's a guy that can hold him to 12, you know, and that, that's a really big thing. The kid, I think I've got his name right here, Alec Baldwin from Butler, who had like 25 against Ole Miss last year. Incredible um, guard. Really good guard. Um, he, that's a guy that Luis could probably hold under that point. You know, so they weren't very good. Uh, their guards, Ole Miss's guards weren't very good. Last year, a lot of it was straight line drives, so getting, you know, getting beat off the bounce. But Luis is kind of a, a bigger guard, more athletic, that can – you know, take out somebody that's a one, two or a three and maybe even play a little bit of four as well. So th- defensively, I think that's where they missed them, him the most. And I'll say it. I mean, I think if he had played, it would have gotten them another maybe two or three wins. No, it's a great point because they absolutely did not have the guy last year where you could put him somewhat on the other team's best defender and just say it doesn't necessarily matter what you do offensively. Just please don't let this guy kill us because they got killed time and time again by that guy, you know, insert whatever team you want to on there. I guess the second part of that would be then is, you know, can you sacrifice what he does or does not give you offensively? Like, what is he at the other end? Can you put him and let him play 28, 30 minutes, whatever, and just say, does it really matter what you do offensively? Do they have the versatility and really the scoring to kind of make that make that possible? Well, uh, that's an interesting point because he's got Domencio Vaughn right there behind him, right? And uh, Domencio is a really tough kid as well. He's going to help from that standpoint, but it's going to give you a little bit more offensively, I would think. Um, So, I mean, I kind of think that's to be determined. Um, I think that this team is going to struggle a little bit with perimeter shooting. So, you know, are there games and lineups where teams go zone that you adjust that roster and, you know, maybe put Domencio or maybe even a Matthew Morell at that three spot um, if you're not getting enough out of Luis. But I also think that he'll be um, serviceable in year three under Kermit from an offensive standpoint. Domencio and Luis are kind of the two guys that you mentioned earlier that are the reason this team could go small and be pretty effective mm-hmm. with it. And they're certainly going to be tougher defensively because of them. So it kind of comes down to what is like, where does this team get scoring? I mean, you talk about a balanced effort, like how much are they going to need? How much more are they going to need out of Shewer? You know, Jarkel yeah. Joyner was the guy when they struggled last year, particularly in late February. If you talk to anyone around the program, it's like, well, he's cutting people up in practice. And he's, yeah. you know, he's probably, I mean, one guy told me last year that he's been the best player on the floor uh, in practice sometimes. Obviously, it's not going to be the kind of volume scorer, volume shooter type of deal that you've seen in the past. But do you think they have enough in terms of backcourt scoring? Yeah, so um, I, I do think that that's a good point. And Jarkel kind of is a volume guy. Um, but, you know, how much do you need is the question. And then the, the other question is, with the increased toughness and, uh, you know, the increased toughness rebounding defensive on the defensive end how much are you going to need from that standpoint you may not need as much because this team should be better rebound they should be a really good rebounding team with this roster they have so 
you know, I think Matthew Morrell will be their best three-point shooter. I think he'll always play on the wing. Um, I think that, you know, Devontae is, you know, he's in his last year. He played 33, 34 minutes a game last year. Um, so I think him and Jarkel will kind of be your two volume guys from the guard spot. Um, but is it – are they giving you 11 a night or can one of them push through and get you to 15, I think would be the question um, on the wing. When they're down five with 90 seconds left and they have to, they cannot have an empty trip, who are they playing through? Well, so uh, what I think, and Kermit did this last year, and it didn't work because Hadim was not there yet, but I think they're going to be there this year. I think they're going to play inside out all year. And here's that's why. kind of what he does, right? That's what he did yeah. at middle. Right, right. And the reason why, um, so first off, Hadim, backing it up to Hadim, I thought Hadim um, off ball screen, so pick and rolls last year was really good, and really efficient. I think the numbers even say that. To start the season off, though, um, back to the basket, he was not great. He was kind of weak and would fade away. Um, but towards the end of the year, he he got a lot better back to the basket. And I think that uh, Romello White, I don't, I don't think we're going to say he's like a Sebastian Saez automatic bucket can go get you 18 down there, but he's a really solid back to the basket too. And so what's going to happen um, in that lineup, if you have Romello playing the five spot, if he gets going a little bit, I think that teams in that four out one in, they're going to have their closest defender uh, dig on Romello or even at times double on him. And so what that, what's going to happen there is that's going to draw attention to the post. And it's the only, it's my half glass full way of looking at this perimeter shooting on the team, because I do think it's, you know, somewhat of a problem, but I think they're going to get a lot more uncontested shots this year than they did last year because of all the intention inside last year was a lot of, you know, Brian, 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 and, you know, a lot of forced shots, a lot of contested shots. I think this year with the attention inside, Romello, and then uh, Hadim's playing better back to the basket, I think there's going to be a tension there that's going to lead to kickouts that are more uncontested than they've seen in the past. Particularly in college basketball, too, that's going to help them a lot because, man, that team last year, and I don't think this is underscored any more perfectly than the Auburn game at home that they lost in overtime, which was before they were really kind of behind the eight ball. Like they were a little bit because of what they did in the non-conference or I should say maybe what they didn't do. But that yeah. Auburn game, remember Tyree fouls out with like five, six minutes left. Ole Miss is up like seven or eight and they literally could not score. I mean, they right. limped into overtime and could not score. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. And it sounds like that's probably because of the options you have in the front court. And there's probably a little bit of an element to it is you talk about which one do you kind of want to play through, you know, Hadim back to the basket. What is Romello actually offensively, even though there's a lot out there and he's a little bit of a known commodity. That's probably something you can work through the first nine, eight, nine games to kind of figure out who exactly that's going to be. Right. Right. I mean, that's another point on why, um, you know, non-conference is going to is so important um, for this team, but they're going to have a lot of good options scoring wise you're not going to have you know just like we talked about earlier not going to have a ton of elite options but this balance is kind of what Kermit likes I mean he would like everybody to touch the ball on a, on a set that they run you know outside of transition he'd like everybody to touch the ball and get as much movement as possible um, in basketball a lot of coaches 
uh, have their staff member stat turns, which is how, you know, how many passes you have in the half court. And the more turns you have, the higher the chance of uh, you are to score. So like three plus turns, three or passes or more could be 60% chance to score on a play, which is really good. And your last two teams, you had, you get, you had some guys that the ball got stuck in their hand, right? And it's not super efficient and it's very easy to guard because there's no movement um, in the half court. So I think that's going to be another huge thing as well for this team. I was about to ask if Blake Henson was the greatest killer of turns of all time. Um, well, there's a guy um, on their staff uh, named Marshall Henderson. So, Brian <laughs> Scott, I'm not sure if you know about him. But... <laughs> he, is, uh, he probably wasn't great with the turns either, but at least it was by design. I remember – I'll never <laughs> forget when they went to the tournament at, in 13 and he's – Taking, you know, they're down at gets Wisconsin or whatever. And LeBron James tweets that Henderson has the greenest light he's ever seen. And people are loving it. It's like, I'm not sure that's the greatest compliment you could have given him. But, hey, like, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, with Blake, it wasn't even by design. Like, Blake, it was every time he even thought about, you know, the top of the key three, you know, three ball with 26 seconds left on the shot clock. You could just see Kermit having an aneurysm on the sideline. It, it was – that was uh, – Blake Henson, what an interesting – interesting yeah. career he had so kind of one of the last guys we haven't gotten to yet you mentioned him a little bit in passing earlier Matthew Morell yeah and he is kind of the guy you know when when it, when Kermit got hired it was can he get you know the guys that AK you know quote unquote couldn't get that are, right. actually that's not fair it's that Ole Miss has not traditionally gotten with any sort of consistency. And he was the first guy that was kind of eye-popping that they landed. It's like, oh, and then they get in the mix for a couple more, whether they landed them or not, kind of not, kind of irrelevant. But they mm -hmm. land him. That's a huge, huge, huge piece. Cannot be understated. What's his role this year as a freshman? Because it's the first freshman I can remember in a long, long time that Ole Miss has had like real expectations from the time mm -hmm. he steps on campus immediately. Am I wrong to say the last guy that felt that way was Shuler? Because I mean, Shuler just came with the Oak Hill brand, and that was kind yeah. of a different time for Ole Miss. But like, I can't remember yeah. a guy where expectations have been this way from the get go. Yeah, no, I think I think Shuler's exactly right. Um, and obviously, Morrell was ranked a good bit higher than Devontae out of high school. I think he's a guy that's going to help with perimeter shooting. I think, um, you know, like we talked about, uh, this team last year struggled a little bit on, you know, straight line drives, ball off the ball defense. And I think that he over time is going to be a really solid defender. Um, I know I've heard Kermit, Kermit hates this adage, but I think as a fan, you just, anytime you have a freshman come in, you just have to know there could be a slump there for a couple games. So be, you know, being patient there. Um, but I'm really excited about him. He, he's got a, he's got a great build too. So um, really high IQ player that I know that staff's really excited about. What is does he start like I I no yeah I mean what's I your starting five so. opening I mean, night yeah so what I kind of think they're gonna do is I think they're gonna go uh, Devonte Jarkel and, and the big thing with Jarkel is you know people want to look at his stat line um, at, at Bakersfield and it's very impressive but what's he what's so impressive to me about him is his intangibles how hard he plays he's gonna have ownership of this team. Jarkel is and really and truly with this new rule Rippy he could he could be here three more years 
Um, so right. the, the thing that's really exciting about Jarkel to me, and I've talked with a lot of my buddies about this, it has been years since Ole Miss basketball has had a player that was like that vocal leader that took over the team. And this is his first year on the floor at Ole Miss, and I think he's going to be that guy. And so I think he's going to be a volume guy, not always super efficient. So um, you're going to have to live with that. But he's going to be really hard to take off the floor because of how he plays and how he leads. So I think you'll have you know him playing two. I think Devontae will start at one. I think they could be interchangeable. And uh, Crowley coming off the bench, I think he'll play a decent bit of one this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. But then Morrell right there um, after Jarkel at the two spot. Luis and Domencio, I mean, I think that could be interchangeable on who starts. It could be how do, how do you want to match up against a different team. My gut tells me I would think that uh, Luis start, would start game one and then KJ and Romello in the front court. Sounds right. Would it shock you if 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 it ended up being de- uh, like to me the least shocking, I guess, kind of al- alternative piece to that would be Dementio over Luis. Like yeah, that no. that seems one A one B very much. That seems about the if you talk about I know basketball is a lot more fluid than any other sport, but if you talk about competing for the starting three or whatever, that seems like the closest quote unquote like race. Like it wouldn't I- shock me if either one of them were out there. I mean, it also wouldn't shock me if both of them started at least 10 games each. You know, I mean, it, it just really could be, like you said, they're both really tough players, have a little bit different games, but I think you're right that it's kind of a coin toss between them two. So I'll flip this two ways before we kind of get macro uh, in more of the SEC. If this team is good, and I know there's a lot of ways you can go with this, so just pick one. If this team is good, why is that? And if this team struggles, why? If this team is good, it's going to be because um, they are in the top two or three in the league in rebounding and are scoring at a decent rate. Um, that would be kind of what, where, where I could see this team from a strength standpoint. If they're bad, it's because they're getting zoned a lot and perimeter shooting is a bigger problem than we thought, right? Um, I, I think that that's something – that when I look at this roster on paper it is a, is a little bit of a problem. Um, so how much do they get zoned? And, you know, one thing I think a lot of people, I think, you know, half a year ago thought there could be a Hadeem C uh, Romello white starting lineup where Hadeem plays the four. And I still wouldn't be surprised to see that lineup um, some, but with the lack of perimeter shooting, I wonder if that kind of hurts it as well. And then, also on the defensive end of the floor, how mobile and flexible is uh, Hadim C from a, uh, a defensive standpoint, guard and ball screen, switching guard and guards as well. Yeah, and that's an interesting answer. I say that was the last question I had, though. I really wanted – one of the things I forgot is I, I wanted to kind of focus in on Schuler for a little bit and kind yeah. of what Ole Miss needs out of him this year because you talked about the leadership quality – Mm-hmm. of Jarkel Joyner, and when you were talking about that a second ago, it kind of made me think that, and this is not necessarily a knock on either one of these kids, it's just not their style, mm-hmm. was that the leadership quality that you're talking about and kind of taking ownership of things is kind of what they needed 
I say taking ownership. That's not totally fair. Vocal leadership is kind of what they needed out of mm-hmm. Brian and out yeah. of Schuler last year. Mm-hmm. And that's just not really their style. And it's not necessarily a knock on their kid, either one of them, or an indictment yeah. on their character or anything like that. It's just not really their style. But Schuler's the, I mean, I say oldest guy. I have to look up the age. Schuler's been around the longest. So, oh, yeah. like, what what is, like, how do you unlock Schuler this year? Because he went from kind of, he was on a team early in his career that wasn't great defensively, and he was probably the mm-hmm. best on-ball defender yeah. to being invaluable as a point guard to last year, you know, not really knowing what his role was, kind of being lost for a while. He's had the foot thing going on. Like, mm-hmm. what's what's a successful season for Schuler this year in terms of his role? Yeah, um, well, I think that from a successful year standpoint, first on the defensive end, he continues to uh, be good and aggressive as an on-ball defender. I think, um, you know, if I was a coach, I would challenge him even more to be a better off-ball defender because he's so athletic and has the potential to. So he's got to, you know, keep being aggressive on the ball, improve a little bit off the ball. And then from an offensive standpoint, I think efficiency is a huge deal here. You know, he doesn't need to turn into – I don't think he's a guy that, you know, needs 20 shots a game, so to speak, you know, especially with this team. He almost averaged a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio last year and is a really good uh, – he's a really solid rebounding point guard. I mean, your, your boy, Boy Kinson, they averaged the same amount of rebounds last year. So, um, <laughs> a little bit so, of height difference there, too. Yeah. Um, so you got that. And then another thing, um, I think he's got to improve on his free throw shooting. He shot about 62, 63% there. So I don't think, you know, when I look at Ole Miss basketball, I mean, Chris Warren wasn't a vocal leader. Uh, Moody wasn't a vocal leader. I think that, you know, like you were saying, last year's team needed it. And there's been some teams in the past that definitely needed it, but I think they've got enough with a Jarkel, Demencio Vaughn, Romello White from a, you know, ownership standpoint of this team that he just kind of needs to run the show in an efficient way and keep being aggressive defensively. And there's a little bit of a collective nature to that too, right? Because when you really lack a, a single vocal leadership voice is when the rest of the team, people like take such negative connotation to the word soft, but that team last year was soft. And so when you have right. a team that goes on the road early in the game, and gets hit in the mouth and no one wants to react. That doesn't right. seem like that'll be this team's well, I know it's not gonna be this team's MO. Kermit made damn sure of that with the <laughs> way he constructed this in the offseason. Right. But like so you it's it's not necessarily, I guess, as as dire need for it as it was last year, but it sounds like they'll have that in spades. And that's probably a good way to wrap up before we get into the SEC is, you know, Kermit made it bluntly obvious last year. You know, covering both of them, what's fascinating is AK would kind of subtly tell you someone sucked or subtly tell you why the team stunk. Like he would kind of make you work for it with his wit, uh, which you would know way better than me, but you know what I'm getting at is he would, he would send a message between the lines that was very, very creatively crafted. Like and it would the, almost uh, sometimes hit you after the fact. I, I can't like count the Island of misfit toys. <laughs> exactly. And you know, 15 other comments through the years. I can't tell you, man, how many times, I got back up to where I was going to write after a game and listening to AK audio and then listening to it a second and third time and being like, oh, that's what he meant by that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of coding, whereas Kermit will just plainly tell you, like, Mm -hmm. we don't, I mean, last year at the end of the year, I can't remember which game it was. He was super pissed off. They had just gotten housed by somebody and he goes, 
this team is not like this is not like any other team I've ever coached. This is not like this is not the DNA of a team that I've ever coached. We don't rebound. We aren't tough. I mean, he just lays it on the line. And right. I say all of that to say is he made it bluntly obvious this offseason that, like you said, they're going to get older, they're going to get tougher, and by God, they're going to rebound. And he seems to have the pieces in place there. But when you look mm-hmm. at this from a macro perspective, mm-hmm. there's a little more pressure for this to work because he gets to the tournament his first year. You know, Ole Miss is not a program where you're expecting, granted, no matter what some sort of PowerPoint or some sort of former AD is going to tell you, they're not going to make the <laughs> tournament 70%. Or seven out of ten times, or whatever it is. Most of you probably know what I'm pick, picking up, what I'm putting down. <laughs> but he does. They're in. If if this does not work this year, and I think it will. I I like what they've done with the roster. I I'm on board with this team being good and a tournament team. But if it like this is a huge swing year, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because if it works and they're good, it's like wow, he's gotten this program to the tournament two yeah. out of three years. They're recruiting at a higher level. You know, you're kind of ready to launch as a program. You're three, mm-hmm. four years in to where if it doesn't, you're not necessarily sunk, but you are in right. kind of a weird place because of how close you flew to the sun when you first took over. Yeah. And, you know, the the, the interesting piece about all of that um, and, and first your, your comment of the 70 percent NCAA tournaments, um, I'll. I'll never forget uh, a few days after our contract didn't get extended. I think you 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 told me that that you'd heard that through a source, and I was like, "Shit, I need to get on LinkedIn right now. This shit is over." <laughs> well, dude, I think the reason I texted you that day is because I was asking you because I, I thought that I found that to be such an absurd comment. I was asking you like, how many programs actually make it seventy percent of the time? Like, can we crunch some numbers on that? <laughs> I mean, Mike Anderson went three out of eight in Arkansas. <laughs> And then got fired <laughs> at the St. John's job. Yeah, seventy I mean, percent is just an outlandish number. But um, off of off of that comment, you know the 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 thing that is interesting, and I really like the way that Kermit did it, and it's kind of similar to some things that AK did in the past. But what what it seems to me like Kermit is doing, and I'm I'm not you know all in on the stars and rankings, but he wants to go get in today's world, you're four stars in high school and fill up about two or three spots there a year and then go get tough and get old and get physical with two or three transfer grad transfer guys too. So it's not like you're completely reinventing the wheel every year, but you could, you could flip your team by eight wins in a year doing it that way, you know, or if you miss out, it could be, you know, back to, you know, if you, if you have bad evals, um, which I think they would kind of agree there were some bad evals last year as much as anything, it kind of puts you back in the same place. So you're really focusing on, hey, these guys out of high school need to give us something freshman year, and then that year two is the biggest leap. But you got to make sure that uh, your transfers, you, you can't strike out on any of those transfers. So that's huge. But I think it's something that Kermit's good at. Before we get out of here, let's just take a look around the league. Just a couple of throw me a couple of macro thoughts about what the SEC is this year. Because obviously the, the coaching did not get any worse. I think that's 100 percent apparent. Um, it was a fun league to follow last year. I don't think you start you saw the top level kind of be what maybe some people thought it was last year, but it was a fun competitive league night in and night out last year. Just your thoughts on the league and you know, maybe favorite to win it sleeper team that whole you know cliche jazz yeah. 
Well, the first thing I will say, um, you know, in regarding Ole Miss in the league is like, I really like this Ole Miss team. Um, I told you my biggest worry with them is perimeter shooting. My second biggest worry with them, especially if our non-cons start to go down or the importance of them do is cannibalization of the league. So what I'm getting into there to kind of segue I really like the league this year. I mean, it, it's going to be a fun league. Um, I'll throw you out, and you let me know what you think about this, um, but I've got it kind of in five tiers in my head. So in my first tier, I've got Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Bama, and Florida. I kind of like Tennessee winning the league this year because they've got Epons and Fulkerson back. Um, they've got a few five stars, a few transfers, and then Rick Barnes can do well with good talent, right? So – that's my first tier there. Um, those are five teams I think could compete for the league. Um, all five will be tournament teams and probably top 25 teams. My second tier um, is Arkansas, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Auburn. And really and truly, if Isaiah Joe hadn't kind of last minute gone pro, they probably would be in that tier one. They've got um, six transfers, and I want to say five of them at their previous school average double digits, and then they sign four four stars on top of that. So Musselman's doing a good job there. South Carolina returns a lot. We've talked a lot about Ole Miss. And then Auburn, it's gonna be, I can't figure Auburn out this year because they're losing a lot and then have some really good impact players coming in. But with how tough the league is and how experienced some of these teams in the league are, um, I think Auburn could be, you know, we'll, we'll be in that second tier, kind of maybe bubbly. Um Third tier, A&M and Missouri. I don't think they're going to be bad. I don't think they're going to be good. A&M has buzz, which is a huge advantage. Missouri's got three good guards this year. Drew Smith, Xavier Pinson, a guy from Hawaii, and then Jeremiah Tillman, who has been there since Perry Ellis uh, was at Kansas. He's so old. Um, I was about to say, that's a name that's been around a, a while. Goodness gracious. And then my fourth tier um, is Georgia and State. If you were to tell me the surprise team in the league this year, I think it's state, and I think it's a negative. Uh, you and I have had a lot of off-recorded off conversations about how interesting Ben Howland's career has been there, and I don't know that they have the Jimmys and Joes to get it done this year. And then in a tier of their own is Vanderbilt. Um, God bless them. I don't know if they're going to be worse at football or basketball this year. That'll be interesting. They should put Vegas money on that. So that's both of those parts are interesting. I'll go from the bottom up because when you talk about the bottom tier, the state part is fascinating because I mean, not to like, I I don't think I'm crazy saying the whole season getting axed by COVID probably helped Howland, did it not? Because that, that program and that whole team, granted, they got a couple, a couple of decent wins late in February, kind of trending that way. They got themselves to the place where they could make some noise in Nashville and have a shot. But, that probably bought him a year or two, no? I mean, I guess if it goes real oh, south yeah. this year. I, yeah. I don't know the cash situation, but just on right. paper, that seemed to help him. Probably so. Um, it, it, yeah, it probably did. And, and damn, they were talented last year, too. Um, I, I just had... They were a I started, hard watch, too. They were. I, I started having questions really after year one because he had that team of Q Weatherspoon, uh, Gavin Ware, Craig Sword, uh, Fred, Malik Newman, IJ Reddy. I mean, they had a bubble team his first year there and didn't make the NIT. And I was like, this thing's interesting. And then I'd watch him go run the same play 80% of the time. And I think the cheerleaders knew what the play was by the end of the year. 
they ran twirl 11 so many times. Um, so I, it's been such an interesting tenure to me for him. And I just don't know that he has the players this year. He's got a, he's got a really good uh, freshman point guard and then uh, a big man, JVN Davis from Mississippi who played at Bama last year, who's a good back to basket, big kind of a poor man's Gavin Ware that I like too, but you got to have a lot of dudes uh, to compete in the SEC this year. There's a shot that the, you know, the, the FBI Wolf of Wall Street's this thing, but LSU, you know, it seems like Alabama stole a lot of kind of the thunder in terms of recruiting, but LSU mm-hmm. kind of put quietly together, what, like a top seven, eight class. You got the yep. Cameron Thomas kid. What do you make of LSU assuming Will Wade coaches all X amount of games? That, yeah, that I've kind of got them about third in the SEC. Um, you know, the big misconception there, and I totally get the Will Wade stuff, but, you know, the thing that I hear a lot is like, oh, it's only his players. Like, Will Wade doesn't get out coached a ton. Now, is he doing out coaching a lot? Maybe not, but, you know, he's good enough. He's going to get what his talent is. And you got Trenton Watford, uh, Javante Smart, you got two transfers, Shaq's son, and then Josh LeBlanc from Georgetown. You've got Darius Days back. And then, like you were talking about, um, they got a five-star and two four-stars, I think. So they're going to be they're going to be a solid team this year if they don't get popped. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a little bit of the inverse of Howland, right? Because it's not always like the most screwed down team to watch. And that's probably right. where a lot of the Will Wade can't coach stuff comes from. But he's also not Howland in the sense to where you never look at, or at least the short time he's been there, you've never looked at his town and been like, why does this team suck? Which is exactly what you looked at with State last year. Alabama, obviously, Nate Oates has made a lot of noise in recruiting. Yeah. What do you make of him? Because he, he, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. And I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a, Buffalo basketball expert, but it did seem reading into it when he got hired. He was left a very good situation at Buffalo no and doubt. did not screw it up. And there's something to be said for that. But then he comes yeah. in, into Alabama and starts recruiting pretty well. Could you make a case Alabama, even as talented as they probably are, slips a little bit because it's also new? Because other than Petty, there's not a whole lot of continuity there, is there? Well, I mean, all right, so you got Herb Jones, who is kind of the SEC glue guy of the year. I mean, they're going to, he's going to be one of these guys that because these rosters could get shortened with COVID, he'll play, he could play one through four this year, both offensively and defensively. And then they got a kid from Villanova, five star transfer, uh, Javon Quinterly, who's going to be really good and signed some good transfers, got a good recruiting class. I really like. Uh, I, I'm a. I'm, I, I really like what Nate Oates has done with that program so far. He's got a. He's got two recruiters, Antoine Petway, who consistently gets good Alabama guys, and then Brian Hodgson, who's turned into an elite recruiter nationally. Um, they've got a good thing going there. They're gonna shoot. They're gonna shoot a lot of threes, but they'll be super entertaining. I think they're kind of uh, in that four range in the SEC. Georgia, Tom Crean, you know, he gets Anthony Edwards, doesn't do a ton with it. I mean, what is that feels like that could get out of that could that could go south that they suck again. Yeah, and that's kind of my yawn team of the SEC. Like I that they just kind of that just bores me. Like at least, you know, a state, it's like what's Allen gonna do, right? With LSU, FBI, uh, with Ole Miss bounce back here. I mean, I don't that that it's just kind of a boring program to me. Um I, and I don't I don't really know. I mean, I think they're going to be second to or third to last in the SEC. They lost Edwards and they lost uh, Rashawn Hammonds, if I remember correctly, too. So 
they, they that thing could get ugly over there as well. What do you like? What the, to me, Georgia basketball is similar to Georgia baseball, and it's like, why do they suck? There's not a whole yeah. lot of excuse for it, is there? You know, I've asked, I've asked that a lot when I was on staff, and the big thing that I always heard was, you'd be surprised that those Atlanta kids just have no real affiliation or interest in Georgia from a basketball standpoint. It's a little different uh, football wise because there's tradition and history there, and. I mean, a huge thing for from a recruiting standpoint. I know Kermit wants you know to change this, but is pro presence. Um, there's not a ton of pro presence from Georgia either. So it's just that's something I've asked, and I know that every staff that that they have at Georgia tries to go hire a Atlanta-based recruiter and says they're going to change it. But it's it's been a really long time since they've had a pipeline from uh, the Atlanta metro area. Buzz was a little bit of the thorn in the side of teams last year, right? That team talent-wise was just absolutely atrocious. And what do you know? He coaches them to however many SEC wins they had to where it kind of got rather remarkable. Obviously, it doesn't seem like this full kind of influx of talent in there is, but what do you make of A&M? Do they kind of play a similar role? Like, if they slid up into the 8-9 finishing spot, it wouldn't be totally shocking? No, it wouldn't be totally shocking. I mean, I kind of think their season from that standpoint is going to be similar to last year. Um, they, they did. I think they signed a top 25 recruiting class and got a good transfer, but they also lost Josh Nebo, who it turned out to be a really good um, player last year, but I mean, I thought this uh, Buzz, he was SEC coach of the year in my mind last year. He, he does a phenomenal job. Florida, what do you make of Mike White at this point? I mean, you get Andrew Nimhard decides to transfer to Georgia. You know, he's got a couple of dudes, Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis. Like, what mm-hmm. do you make of what they do? What, is, yeah. what does he need to do to feel good about you know being there for another three years? Yeah, uh, Keontae Johnson's back. Yeah, they lost Nimhard and um, Kerry Blackshear. You know, that was a team we talked about last year. I mean, I thought they had Final Four potential. and really They were the did. sexy pick to win the league last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they really didn't live up to it. So, um, you know, Auburn's my team that I can't figure out. Florida is the one I think I'm most intrigued with this year. I mean – are they, you know, a top – some people have them second in the league. I don't know that I see it, but um, are they a top 15 team or do they barely get into the tournament, you know? And so I think that this year Mike White just needs to be on Selection Sunday, feel super safe about anything, um, you know, before anything goes that way. How many teams does this league get in? If you know normal year, normal sixty eighteen tournament, assuming shit doesn't hit the fan just ridiculously, was it is? Could you make case for seven? Eight? Yeah, I, I mean seven kind of feels like the number, and I've actually got on this. I think at somewhere in between six and eight. Um, so seven feels right this year. I mean, I think there's Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Bama, probably Florida. Or, for sure locks and then you have that you know second tier of arkansas south carolina Ole miss auburn um i think that south carolina people don't think that south carolina is getting a lot enough love right now um they play tough as hell and um are returning a lot of pieces as well so seven kind of feels right to me this year um with how the league looks Awesome, dude. This was uh, this was great. I think that we exhausted my list of questions that I had down the uh, 
the old notepad. This was fantastic. I enjoyed this. I, this would not be the last time we talk hoops this season, but man, it's been too long. I know, absolutely. We gotta we gotta get you up to Oxford sometime soon. Um, I gotta figure out when I'm going too, but we'll we we gotta get back up there um, while we can still drive around without traffic. No kidding, dude. We gotta take full advantage. Bracken Ray, check him out. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the time as always, dude. You'll be back. I know soon. I'm kind of looking forward to getting this thing going now. This got me excited about hoops. But uh, be well, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one.